0: Welcome to Threads of Sustainability. I'm your host, Brigitte O'Flaherty. With climate change and environmental impacts becoming a common narrative in our daily lives, it seems like a great time to explore what sustainability looks like in the quilting, fiber, and textile world. We'll hear from creatives, makers, manufacturers, and producers from all over the world to discover what sustainability looks like to them and find out how they're contributing to a sustainable future. We will celebrate positive steps people are taking no matter how small. Whether you're a hobbyist or a pro, you can bring sustainability into your practice. Join me as we take a deep dive into the environmental, social, and economic impacts with Threads of Sustainability. One of the interesting things that I find about doing these talks and being able to have conversations with people is the different lenses that sustainability is viewed through. Today, we're going to be talking with somebody who is an activist, I would say, and through their art, expresses concern for the environment and tries to be a voice and, and be a, an advocate for endangered species not an uncommon theme, but a really important one. And I think that we need to take a look at activists in a way and support those activists to be able to spread that message and spread the knowledge that they are trying to convey. It's just, it's a really important piece of the whole puzzle of sustainability. And I think that it's really worthwhile. I hope you enjoy today's talk. Welcome to Threads of Sustainability. I am talking with Janine Heschel, and we're talking to each other, and you're in Vienna. I am wanting to talk to you about some of the work that you do. You do thread painting like me, but not like me. It's so different from what I do, but technically, it's the same stuff. And I have been following you, I've been a huge fan for a long time, and specifically we were talking about endangered species and some of the stuff around that. But one of the questions I wanted to talk to you about in your work, and I'm going to get to the how you came to doing it and why and all that stuff. One of the big whys that I want to know about is why you are driven to do your subject matter, which is almost always endangered species, right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that.
1: It's always been animals. My subject matter has always been animals because it's, it's the most fascinating thing for me that Mother Earth provides us with. The diversity of the, of patterns, of colors, of different shapes and sizes. The more I got involved in researching my subjects, the more I read about the IUCN list, for example, of of animals going extinct or the numbers drastically reducing due to logging or wildlife crimes. And It's that what probably impacted me most to focus on endangered species, because I didn't know about these um, numbers or examples for some animals. I assumed that a lot of people actually don't know. I wanted to transport that through as a message with the portraits I create. So I thought when I create a portrait, for example, of a lion, I can then educate people about the decline of the number of lions in Africa, or I can raise awareness of lions that are bred in captivity to be um, sold off to people who like to shoot lions, you know, this kind of thing. Almost, which is really a sad fact, but almost every species that I research there is some sort of trouble they're in or they um, experience a a certain plight that we can't even, you know, that we we didn't even know about, like the pangolin, for example. The pangolin, that it just got into the headlines due to um, the COVID because it's been sort of associated with the the virus. Oh, I didn't realize that. That it's been transferred. Yeah, it's been transferred on a wildlife market because they are sold in Chinese markets, but they're actually from Africa, they were bearing this kind of virus. And it's sort of, you know, it's very simple for one virus to transfer from an, a wild animal to a human or to another animal and then to a human. Right. So people sort of knew about pangolins, because not only because of their scales that are very sought after and that they're being um hunted for, but also because of the epidemic breakout. And so what's
0: what's happening with those numbers now with the pangolin?
1: Well the pangolin sort of um is experiencing some kind of I don't know how to put that in in English, but it's like a little hype. People are finding them so cute and they feel so sorry for them because they're so They're such peaceful animals. If you look at one, they could never hurt anyone. And then they're being hunted and killed for their scales. And so they've got now lots of conservation groups that are helping, that are raising funds. And that's the kind of thing that works for the pangolins now. Because there's people who actually give money to organize groups and uh, raise awareness so that's in their favor.
0: Yeah, I saw your your pangolin piece that you did. It was really sweet.
1: Yeah, they are so cute. You know, you look at them and they're like, tiny, you know, like hedgehogs. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, look yeah. to me like tiny little hedgehogs, and I'd feel so sorry for them if, if anybody would hurt them. But yeah, yeah. They're, they're
0: they're taking the hit now for the uh, the blame on the on the coronavirus. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that them too less desirable in some ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So obviously the environment is incredibly important to you, and animals is a, is is your central focus. Yeah. But that all kind of stems out of climate crisis, right? And we talked a little bit about the idea of artists being really. competitive Held to try and do something that we're. I feel like we're very empathetic and kind of hit hard by the emotional context of climate crisis. There's that that eco overwhelm that happens, and the fight for figuring out how to, as an individual. Yeah. Make a change to this giant concept. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that and about how that has really driven some of the work that you're doing as well.
1: It's it's something that is always on my mind. And it's, you know, when you especially when you have children, you think about the world that you leave behind for your for your children, even small children, even more so than when grown up already. Yeah. but um it's something that is constantly on your mind where you go right what you know if, if the climate's going to change and, and if they predict that in 10 years t- in 10 years time it's going to be even hotter in Siberia and glaciers are gonna melt what's you know what what does that mean for our children what does that mean for animals you know will there be polar bears left yeah. in 20 50 years um, what will the world look like in 50 years yeah. and in you know for us we say right in 50 years i'm probably not Gonna be here, or I'm 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 not gonna be aware of what's happening if I'm still here. Right, but my children are, and my grandchildren will be. That's something I don't consciously put it into my work as a subject. Mm-hmm. I I do only recently I've started to to explore how nature um, works and how we can always count on its resilience because mm-hmm. it it will in the end. That's it's my favorite thing to say in the end nature wins. Yeah. She always will win, you know, no matter what the humans will do, if we blow each other up, it will in the end it will all be green again. Yeah. <laughs> that's my my strongest belief and that's 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 something that I'm incorporating into like my moss pieces that I've been recently doing, not so much with the animals. I'm, yes. Yeah, I'm not putting it into context as much um, with animals. Yes, there is climate change that does affect the numbers of animals, but not. I'm not putting that in my work as
0: such. I think that's really true that sustainability is kind of built on the ideas that we're using our resources today in, in ethical and careful ways so that they're preserved for future use, right? For those future generations. That's the that's what sustainability mm-hmm. is all about, is what those future generations are going to receive from us. Yeah, it's interesting to, to look at that and think about that. I definitely think about that with my own kids and with everything that I do. It's like, okay, well, what's this going to do in, in the future? Yes. Is this going to go? What's like? How is this going to end up paying back into the future? Is it going to be positive or negative? Exactly. Tell me how you got started doing thread painting and doing textile work.
1: I started... Um, when I was a stay-at-home mom with my my youngest son, he was just a baby. I felt that I needed to be productive. I come from a very productive and sort of um, performance-driven family. It's always been something that I've been that I've been growing up with. Like you gotta you gotta be productive. You gotta do something. You can't just sit around and daydream. It's it's not the thing to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always daydream.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what I always did. That's why I heard it probably lots and lots and lots of times. During my childhood and then I had my own kid and then these little voices started going oh you you got to do something man you can't just sit at home and, and be a mom that's just not on so um I thought right I'll buy myself a sewing machine and then I started following tons and tons of tutorials of of making little pouches and pillows and then I thought right it's boring and uh, I've started um, making kids' clothes and made my kids wear that too, which is awful. I will <laughs> I, I will have to apologize lots and lots of times <laughs> before they sort of forgive me when they see the photos of their <laughs> childhood of their clothing when they were the kids. <laughs> they were terrible. I was I have no talent whatsoever in sewing stru- like pursuing in a straight line. That's why I got very, very frustrated with the sewing machine. When until I figured out, right, I have a choice now. I can either throw the sewing machine out of the window, or I can make it work for me. Right. I sort of explored other ways of using it, the sewing machine, and I came across a couple of artists that were doing the free motion sewing. You know, when no feed dogs, and you're in charge of where the thread goes and it doesn't have to be in a straight line, which was the absolute bargain for me. (laughs) So I explored and I was doing, you know, raw applique and this kind of stuff, you know, drawing little pictures with with fabric. And then I thought, right, I, I get bored easily very, very soon with stuff. And then I thought, right, what happens if I don't use fabric, but thread and fill the areas with thread, rather than just fabric it sort of was very two-dimensional and then I started looking at objects in a different way and decided wow you can actually create depth with shadows and you know just using not just one color but maybe three tones of red to give it more depth and so I was sort of teaching myself the color theory
0: yeah so you don't have, a, you have an art background you didn't go to no school for not art. at all no me no neither. no no me neither interesting
1: yeah, I, you don't need an art degree apparently no. to become an artist. No, you <laughs> you're don't. not taken seriously in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you gotta show them that you are actually an artist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, self-taught. I, I took it a step further and further and further, and I'm very uh, into challenging myself. I, yeah. I like to leave the comfort zone a lot because yeah. I know it will it will take me places. It won't take me anywhere if I keep doing what I. I'm comfortable with you know right right so I keep I kept challenging so tell me what kind of mm-hmm? sewing machine you have oh I started with a normal like a regular brother sewing mm-hmm. machine like the the household sort of you know nothing yeah. fancy four years ago I bought myself a vintage singer free like it's an it's a flat embroidery machine they call it it's from the 1960s. Nice. It's motorized now and it's one that doesn't have any like sewing feet and it's got no feet dogs either. Okay. And it's one that where you can regulate the, the width of the stitching, you know, it's, it's, you can stitch in zigzag. The knee press yeah. that you
0: can use. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Knows.
1: Yeah. Which I don't use cause I sew in a straight line always. Right. Right. But um, you can do, use like a zigzag. Really fast. She goes like one thousand two hundred stitches a minute. Wow, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, that is awesome. And so you just started developing into the detail that you've got. And tell me a little bit about the process. Mm -hmm. So you use a hoop to do your thread painting.
1: I always use a hoop. Yeah.
0: What do you stitch on?
1: Um, I use calico. Oh, okay. Do you have a different name in North America for it? I think a lot of people name it muslin. Okay, but it's it's a bit thicker. It's like okay. a um, a heavy muslin. We we call it translated over here in Austria it would be um, a fabric from nettles. So it's oh, plant okay. plant based.
0: Okay, so it's not a cotton and necessarily.
1: It it looks like a cotton and it's woven like cotton, but okay. it's called nettle okay. fabric. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So it's probably a good mix. Mm. Yeah, and I it's I love it thing. because it's sturdy and I can stretch it over the canvas because I don't have. You know, don't make quilts as such. There's like, you know, there is three layers if you use the stabilizer in the back. But I stretch my fabric over canvas because obviously, you know, those who know free motion um, sewing, it you can um, create lots and lots of puckering. Yeah, and I can stretch that out. And with calico, it you really have that way to go to stretch it. It won't rip ever. We talked a little bit about your subject
0: matter and. You were, in the last couple of years, you decided you were going to do a chimp for an auction. And I I really, this is such an amazing story. (laughs) And I'm, I'm really excited for you to share it with us. So tell me about your chimp.
1: I was asked in 2018 to create a chimp for the primatologist, Dr. Jane Goodall. She has always been my inspiration. I've seen her now live four times and I know her stories and she's she's so sweet she always tells she's got these jokes that she always tells and every time I hear it, I was like I know them already but they still make me laugh and they still inspire (laughs) me and her words are just pure healing and when the Jane Goodall Institute Austria asked me to to create a portrait for her So we could auction it to raise funds for her lifetime project, which is the Jane Goodall Institute. I was just honored. And I thought, wow, art can go so far if you believe in it. And if you let it, you know, it's not just, oh, I make a paint, a thread painting and I sell it and somebody hangs it on their wall. It can actually transport so much more. It can raise funds and it can raise awareness and it can sort of. Give you an opportunity of a lifetime to meet your all time hero, you know, and and be on stage with Dr. Jane Goodall. You know, that's that's something I'd never thought about when I when I decided to become an artist, how far it can go. And I feel really blessed, to be honest. (laughs) It's, It's an amazing feeling. So tell me a little bit about the the actual
0: chimp that you did as your piece.
1: I've done um, two portraits now because so I've been asked twice to create a portrait for her. One she hasn't received due to Corona was cancelled and still waiting for her to be Hopefully this year that she will be able to receive it. But the one I created in 2018 was actually the chimp called Bunda. Okay. It was a rescue chimp that she became very famous. If you look it up on YouTube, if you type like Jane Goodall and Bunda, it's, it's actually spelled Wounder, W-O-U-N-D-A. That video is, it touches your heart and you'll never forget watching it. It's a chimp that they released on an island in back into the wild. It was a chimp that they actually thought would never survive. She was shot. Her mom was shot and she had a bullet also in near her chest. It made her survive and they actually had her go into their sanctuary. They let her go. They opened the cage and she hopped on that cage and she never met Jane Goodall before. But she was there on the day of her release and she turns around and she hugs her. Wunda gives her the biggest hug and it was so, I get goosebumps now just talking about this video. I'm getting goosebumps. (laughs) It is so beautiful. Like I cry. Every time I see that video, I cry. I'll put a link to that into the show. Yeah. Please do, because it's so touching and it, it just shows the love that these two share with each other. Yeah, I was asked to portray Munda, and I did. I I got a a reference photo from the the Jane Goodall Institute. They allowed me to use it and I was able to do so. And for the second portrait, I was asked to choose a portrait from a gym from Gombe. And Gombe is the place where Jane Goodall went uh, 60 years ago, 62 years ago now. And her journey started there. Yeah. So it was very specific.
0: Amazing. And yeah, I can't wait to see that one. That one's gonna be
1: oh, awesome. You I'm love mature.
0: it. <laughs> yeah. Be the, the prepared to cry. The, one of the <laughs> things that I find fascinating about your work is the the detail you get in the eyes. And mm. you are able to somehow translate and convey emotion through thread stitching eyes. It's just I find it fascinating and really yeah tell me a little bit about what draws you to the eyes because that seems like something you focus on a lot
1: I do and in the beginning and I didn't really focus on the eye but it took the longest time to stitch so when I have an eye that is like three centimeters by two centimeters I spend two hours on one eye I'm probably faster now but back then it took me two two and a half hours to get every single detail in there and I do try and cram every detail in there that's why my portraits always turn out or not always but usually turn out quite big like 60 by 80 centimeters that I can have eyes that are big enough so I can add all the details in there that I want to yeah Yeah, it's much harder
0: to do things small really isn't it
1: it is. a lot of people go oh, but if you do small you're a lot fat and like so much faster and it's like no you're not because you still want to do all the details and you you just sit there and then you do single tiny little stitches yeah you not as much but it takes a long time as well to get those in that you can see yeah so now working on a larger scale is a lot nicer and then I've decided to just create single eyes. Yeah. You know, just a lioness eye. And I've done a series of wild cats or big cats. And uh, I really, really enjoyed creating eyes because they're so, they're so meaningful and they speak to people on a different level. It sounds very, very.
0: No, no, it it's terrible? Not. no, they, they, but it, they do. There's an emotional connection to eyes, right? And mm. it, it makes you, I think it feels like they're looking into your soul. <laughs> they're somehow reflecting you mm. back into them. And I find it really,
1: yeah, I think are you're right. They, they're powerful. They're really powerful. That's the message I try to get across so to, for people to look at them and to maybe also feel a little bit uncomfortable being stared at because it's something that humans don't really appreciate being stared at but I want to raise this empathy you know when you when you care for something you feel empathy for something you will automatically try and protect it if you haven't got a connection to something you won't feel that it's an effort or it's 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 worth it to fight for something if you don't feel for it. yeah, And that's sort of the, the thing I try to express or to translate is, is you know, the look maybe in, in the eye of a lion that pleads with you is like, help me get yeah. stuff done. And you
0: definitely convey that really, really well. And, and, no, and I feel you. like I'm, I feel like I'm being judged a little bit by the eyes.
1: So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I used to Do have something. an otter <laughs> and I, I work out in my studio as well. Like I, I do my workouts, my my daily ones. And I had this otter portrait and he was a very judgmental otter. <laughs> <I> thought, <laughs> yeah, I'm already using my heavier weights here. <laughs> what are you looking at? <laughs> what are you you're so, judging me? Quit judging yeah, he, was, he was very judgmental. He's now found a new home to be judgmental.
0: <laughs> Tell me about the actual event of presenting Wunda to Jane Goodall. Tell me about that.
1: Oh, uh, that was very emotional. That was a very emotional evening because I didn't know half things that would be happening that evening when I arrived in this venue. So I I, I walked into this huge hall that held about thousand five hundred people. The first thing I saw was this massive photograph on a huge screen of my portrait that they wow. just put on like a big sort of screen and projected it onto. Well, I, I can't even explain what that did to me. I was just so gobsmacked. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. And it's been, it's, it stayed up there the whole night. Right. Like I felt really small. <laughs> my parents were there and, and my friends came to to witness all of that. And then, you know, I was nervous as anyway, as it, as it was. And then I took my portrait and I, I went to the head, to the, to the director of the Jane Goodall Institute and I said, right, here's your portrait. And uh, it's all framed and wrapped and there's a pen because I'm sure she's going to sign the portrait as well. I've thought of everything. And then she looked at me, she's like, Why are you giving that to me? I'm like, well, I thought, you know, you might want to give it to her then. And she's like, no, no, you go up on stage and you give it to her. Oh, my God. And I was like, (laughs) I didn't dress the part. I was wearing my jeans. (laughs) I was like, oh, no, you can't make me do that. And she's like, oh, yeah, you you made it. So you go up there and you give it to
0: her. Oh, my God
1: oh and luckily my husband was there so he was like holding my hand throughout the whole time and then when it was my turn I tried not to fall off the stairs to the stage and then I was I was shaking I presented that to her and then she said the most beautiful thing about this portrait because she in her lectures she always talks about how humans and animals and and plants we're all interconnected and we're like a big woven tapestry Mm -hmm. you know we all depend on each other and we're all good for each other and in the ideal world and then she saw the thread of my portrait and she said oh and like in this portrait every thread goes with one another to create one beautiful picture and I thought Oh, that is such a beautiful metaphor. Then we had the auction run and and a lovely man bought this for his office because he dedicated an entire office room to Jane Goodall's. He was wow. he obviously was a big fan. No kidding. And then, yeah, when he got on stage, she she passed on the portrait to him and she turned around to me and hugged me. And oh I was standing there going, oh my God, Jane Goodall's hugging me. <laughs> I was like, what to do? Can I can I hug her back? She's like an 80 plus woman back then. I was sure, like, oh, yeah. I need to hug her back. And <laughs> I wow. felt very at the same time i felt uncomfortable and joyous I, you know lots and lots of emotions running through me I that bet. night
0: yeah i bet what a trip to to meet somebody <laughs> like that with that kind of i don't know she's got like an ethereal energy to her almost she's she's this big entity she's she's, she's a big
1: amazing she is an entity yeah yeah, yeah.
0: what a beautiful a thing. beautiful
1: soul that walks this earth and yeah. i hope for a longer time than we Yeah, and we can hope for.
0: Yeah. So talk to me about some of your next projects. You've been doing some more unusual things on some of your social media, showing us some of your more unusual, the mosses and some pink work that you've been doing as well. (laughs)
1: Tell us a little bit about that. I needed a break from animals. You know, I, I didn't think I'd actually come to this point where I need a break from animals. But like every artist, once in a while is. I wouldn't say bored with the work, but I ran out of inspiration and I needed something different. I need a change. That's probably simple as that. I needed something different. And I, I love moss. I've always loved moss. When I walk past moss, I need to put my fingers in it and I need to touch it. And I love the texture. Yeah. Oh, it is, it is. And it's, it's amazing to touch. And it's, I read up on moss and it, they used it like in World War II to put on wounds okay. so they would heal faster. So they, they've given it some kind of um, power as well in, in, in the healing sure. um, of, of, of the humans. And, and that was, again, something where I thought nature is so amazing. It's not, you know, it doesn't give us, it, it gives us lots of beauty and it gives us lots of um, enjoyment, but also it heals us and in so many different ways. Yeah. So moss was something that I wanted to create and I wanted to explore. So, yeah, I thought, right, what can I do with moss? And I thought of different shapes and different, you know, um, of paw prints and lots and lots of ideas. And then I thought, right, the one thing that we need at the moment is hope. So that was one of my first words to stitch was hope. And then I thought, right, but at the moment I'm not feeling of the hope. What I feel is more of a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> this world is fucked, right? Yeah. Where we're going is wrong. And it's what we're doing is crap. And I feel helpless. And I feel we're not we're not gonna make it. So yeah my sort of the opposite of hope was ah uh, fuck yeah. so um, I think <laughs> I that, in, on in, that. <laughs>
0: definitely it felt like those <laughs> moments as well when you just yeah there are certain things that you walk past like I'm I'm walking in nature I'm out in this beautiful hike and then I see a bunch of garbage that's or a, a, we have we have a coffee place here called Tim Hortons and so you see a Tim Hortons cup in the middle of a trail that you're walking on it's like fuck who who's doing yeah. that like why why and who's picking that up like what why did you drop it there and who do you think is picking it up i'm gonna pick it up but yeah what the fuck why Mm -hmm. and yeah i feel you driving down the road and you're seeing plastic cotton trees and you know it's it's kind of the exasperation of the ignorance of what we're doing to the planet yes yes i get i get it i totally get it
1: that was the frustration that is yeah. the frustration that I feel. It's it's the same with people who use the poop bags to pick up the poop and then throw the poop bag into the woods. Like you right. might as well just leave the poop to disintegrate by itself. Right. But now it can't because it's, it's n- wrapped in plastic. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <It's- laughs> Oh, it's that yeah. kind of frustration I felt. And that's that, that was probably part of me going exploring different things. In you know, different things in search in terms of moss, but also in different colors. So I needed color. And that was also not a part of that of changing subjects. I yeah. needed bright colors. And one of the bright colors was green, and another bright color that I thought it was the pink. And that's why the pink sort of took over a little bit for a while. It, it did me good in, in creating uh, bold colors. And it sort of worked for me creating that in moss and experimenting, you know, yeah. experimenting with color. I've started sort of experimenting with sculptural
0: work. Cool. So doing more three-dimensional stuff.
1: Three-dimensional, like a, a cigarette bud where I, I yeah. thought, right, I want to do maybe some more on that. And a paint a tube and I, I ha- created some a moss on a water-soluble fabric, a sort of um, stabilizer. So the moss was sort of 3D free flowing and it came out of the tube, you know, that sort of instant happiness, I called it, you know, when you you need instant happiness, you take your tube and you press out a bit of moss and then you enjoy your nature. Cause that's, I think that's what humanity is going towards too. You know, we, we don't take the time to go and walk in the woods. No, we need something, a quick fix and buy some tube and you know some cream and put it on our hands and it feels like moss (laughs) that was sort of the idea behind that yeah no I like that Well, I was I was going anywhere and I had no plan and I decided to allow myself this year to fully experiment with whatever comes into my head. And that's, you know, that's cigarette buds and it's paint tubes and it's moss and it's words. And I'm sort of now going back to the animals uh, because I've started like a, a moth two days ago. Nice. I've never stitched wings. I've never fully stitched wings. You did the bees. I did. Bees were amazing. Tell me about the bees. It was a big fat bumblebee. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love bumblebees so much because they're just cute little fluffy bums. But the wings on that one I created out of organza fabric. So I didn't stitch them. So they're free. They're 3D wings. Okay. So with the moth. It's different because it, it, I will stitch it. But the good thing is that moths seem to have very hairy wings. <laughs> and uh, so that's going to work for me with, with thread.
0: Yeah, it, it lends itself really well to the thread painting. So tell me a little bit about the materials that you use. We've talked about the fabric, but tell me about the thread that you use.
1: People always ask me what, what brand thread do you use? And I always give them the same answers. Like I don't go by brand. I go by color.
0: I'm in the same boat.
1: Especially when you work in realism or in photorealism, you need to grab whatever um, shade you can get. I can't look for a, a certain brands that I use. I have now just recently signed up for the Aurifil Artisan program and I've, I've been accepted to that. And what I really like about that is that you get A challenge set every month like this month it was here's your welcoming pack there's 12 spools of thread use them to create whatever you like and I had lots of pinks and lots of uh, and um, one or two browns and that inspired me to create that um, elephant hog moth because it's pink and brown it's exactly those colors nice and I had held them sort of in my hand and I thought oh that reminds me of something and then I figured, oh, it's that moth because we they're um, local to us, and we get okay. them here. Nice, and Beautiful. that was that was love. That was nice. I like I like the challenge. What draws me to our Phil is that it's a hundred percent cotton, so there's no plastic I think in there. No, in, they have several um, sort of um, selections of thread. The ones I use is the macro thread, and I think it's hundred percent cotton. But what I like about them is that they have that they support Earth League International. Okay. They have color builders and they had an ex- like a whole series of three different kinds of browns, for example. And that was the color builder for the pangolin, sort okay. of endangered species. So they had the Sumatran elephant, the pangolin, the jaguar. I hope I'm not saying anything wrong here, but... No. That was the first time I got to know Aurifil because I found out that they are supporting a cause that I support. You know, they're, they're working for Earth League International.
0: So tell me about Earth League International.
1: Earth League International was founded by Andrea Costa, who is, if you've ever seen the movie The Ivory Game, it's, it was a huge documentary a couple of years ago about the illegal trade of ivory. And he's, he works undercover and he believes that Wildlife crimes can only be solved by using intelligence, sort of crime intelligence. He's been working closely with FBI agents and CIA agents, undercover, using journalists infiltrating the system to really get to those guys who pull the threads. And this is what um, what he, what his aim is to stop trafficking by using intelligence. Sure. Or you know, what people use to arrest, you know, the bad guys. Okay. <laughs> to, to say it that way. He founded Earth League International. Okay. And he's Italian and Aurofil is Italian. And that's how these two sort of work together. Okay. That's how I, I found out about Earth League International and the color builders and that Aurafil supports them. And I it spoke to me because it's the exact same mission sure. that I have. Yeah. It's not their only mission
0: the color builders are just like a set of threads that that are based on
1: yeah they're they're like tiny they're tiny boxes okay like a little kit yeah and okay. you can use it and it's like like three different shades of a, of a color
0: the plastic bank is really an interesting thing and i want to talk to aurafill so hopefully i'll be able to talk to aurafill more and get some more of the details of what they do so the plastic bank is a another social program that they support where plastic is used as currency so it keeps it out of the oceans, it keeps it out of, out of landfills, mm-hmm. and they're able to trade it in and, and use it as currency. So AuraFill mm-hmm. supports funding that particular program. And I'm not sure of the actual oh, cool. location of where that takes place. I think there's different locations where it takes place. But that's the goal behind it is to encourage people to instead of throwing plastics into the ocean or in the streets, it's suddenly got a value to it. And they can then trade it in for other goods that are useful. To wow! Them. Yeah,
1: that is that is a good mission. Yeah,
0: I do love that they are supporting these other programs. I think they're really important. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think you will probably find that. They are on their way of of yeah. being becoming more sustainable. Yeah. You know, a lot of companies do, and a lot of um, like Metla thread or Guterman. Yep. I don't think Guterman produces anymore, but but Metler does anyway. And Aman,
0: Guterman and Metler both have the recycled content
1: threads. They exactly. Both... Yeah, and I'm pretty sure other thread companies will follow.
0: I think they have to. I think they have to. They, the industries, it's becoming painfully obvious that this industry is impacting the environment negatively. And that the production of yeah. these types of things are having an environmental impact. It, if they don't see that, then they're they're just ignoring it. <laughs> so I think, and I think the more we're seeing things like the Paris Agreement... And the demands on countries globally, it's going to be putting pressure on companies to start making changes and acting. And I think also, as individuals, more, the more we start to demand it, the more people, these companies are going to start paying attention and actually going, oh, yeah, it's important to the people who are buying our stuff. We have to
1: start doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree with you in there. Yeah. We have a lot of work ahead of us. Lots of, co- lots of companies, actually, not not just us, us as the single human, but companies. And yep. most of them are just greenwashing now. But I hope that they actually do take proper steps and help
0: us create. I think the more we start to understand what greenwashing is, that we can call it out and say, wait a minute, you can't just call yeah. something natural. <laughs> you have to actually... Has exactly. some support exactly. behind what you're doing. Like, yeah, cotton is natural That's fabric. Right. That's great. But how is it being produced? And, and how many chemicals went into that production? And what are the employees and the laborers being, how are they being treated? And, you know, we've got so many other things to take into account. It's not just about the environmental naturalness of something. Everything's natural. <laughs> the world is only made up <laughs> yeah. of natural things. <laughs> So is it just <laughs> how true. we combine them together is is where things yeah become problematic
1: yeah. The sad thing is that companies are still trying to find an easy way out. You know yeah. that that the problem greenwashing has even come up is 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 terribly sad. Instead of putting the focus to actually making a change. We're, we're putting the focus onto lying to, every, to everyone and pretend that we are making a change, which is ridiculous. We're putting, there's companies that pump money into greenwashing rather than putting an effort into getting their products to be created uh, sustainably. So, yeah, yeah, we're we're not
0: there yet. (laughs) The almighty dollar is really what is driving things. And I think that that's where things need to shift focus. We need to move away from profit being the only reason that we're doing things.
1: That's a a saying that I, I like. If peace was profitable, we would have it. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's very I sad. Agree. On that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say thank you so, so much for talking with me today. It's been a really interesting conversation. And I really look forward to talking to you more and seeing more of your work in the future. You do amazing work. And I think it's really important work too.
1: Thank you, Bridget. That's very sweet of you. Thanks for having me and thinking of me in your series. Yeah, it's no, an honor.
0: It's, it's great to have all the uh, varieties of conversations and hear about different work people are doing around the world.
1: Thanks for doing that. That's that's, you know, that's also part of being a part of the change, you know. It's creating change by talking to people and getting people to listen. Yeah, I agree.
0: That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> Wow, I just love talking with Janine. It was such an inspiring time. We could have talked for probably another two hours. We had lots to talk about and lots in common. And it was just a real pleasure to have a conversation with her to find out some of her process, some of her inspiration and her Jane Goodall story is just amazing. I can't wait to see more of her work. If you want to see her work, you can see it on Instagram. She's under Janine.Heschel, and I'll put the links to that in the show notes. You can also find her online at her website at textilewildlifearts.com. If you like what you're hearing from the show, don't forget to like and follow and share it with your friends. I really appreciate any support and I've been really appreciating the comments that you've been sending me. I've been getting some great emails supporting the podcast and I really appreciate hearing that. If you know of people that you want me to interview that you think would be a good story, please drop me a line. I'd love to hear about it. If you're interested in a community that engages with sustainability in quilting and textiles, you can join the learning hub at bridgetoflarity.com. There you will find memberships, online courses, supplies, and resources for sustainability and my textile art. You can also book me to speak with or teach your group. You can find me on social media at The Sustainable Quilter. Don't forget to comment, like, and share, and to follow me on your favorite podcast app so you won't miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'm so excited to share this journey with you. Until next time, happy stitching.